Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. If you don't know the meddlesome stakeholders, then I encourage you to get to know them. They are generous hosts at their theater space, OK All Right in Durham, and dedicated, open-hearted collaborators. In fact, collaboration is frequently mentioned in my conversation with Jack Wright's today's podcast guest. Jack Wright's is an actor, writer, and improviser based in Durham, North Carolina, and a founding stakeholder of Meddlesome. Meddlesome produces independent, creative, and smart podcasts. They amplify artists' work by providing networking, mentoring, production, and marketing assistance, and they aim to keep audiences entertained with the best damn theater podcasts, art, and comedy out there. Jack teaches and coaches improv with Meddlesome at the OK All Right Theater. He's been studying improv since 2004, first with the DSI Comedy Theater in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and then with the UCB Theater and the Magnet Theater in New York City. He has appeared on stage in Durham, Chicago, and NYC, and in various film work, including appearances on ABC and MTV. From 2012 to 2019, Jack toured nationally and internationally as part of Catharsis Productions' show, Sex Signals, which uses scripted and improvisational comedy to address issues of sexual assault in the military and on college campuses. He was recently the host of Our State Magazine's Secrets of the Triad series. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground— Here's a list to get you excited. Improv comedy, sketch comedy, using the tenets of improv to create something that lasts. Spontaneous collaboration, the history of improv, improv in the time of COVID-19, the structure of making comedic choices, amplifying the signal of the amazing artists in Durham and the surrounding areas, and more. Wherever and however you are listening, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Jack. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I'm very thankful to be here to talk to you right now. I think that we'll start with something like a past, present, and future for Meddlesome. So for people who are not familiar with you all, can you talk a little bit about the immediate past, what you have been doing with Meddlesome and with OK All Right, and then we'll transition into the current state, and then hopefully we can even think about the future as well. Yeah, what a great and thorough question. (laughs) So Meddlesome is about to start our fourth year of existence, which is very exciting for all of us. We initially started doing pop-up improv shows at various venues around the triangle. We were doing stuff at King's. We were doing stuff at the vault. Uh, We were doing uh, performances at a little jazz club called the shed. That's where one of the first meddlesome shows was. And we primarily were doing improv comedy over the past three years. We went from sporadically jumping into place to place to moving into our own permanent theater, which we've called meddlesome's okay. All right. Theater and producing shows every single weekend, some Thursdays, and then Fridays and Saturdays. 
we started out doing a lot of improv, but we've also done sketch comedy. We love to hold space for some stand-up comedy. We've produced a storytelling show called Zara, which was a uh, it's a one-person storytelling show about God, parenthood, religion in the South. Yeah, that's sort of what we've been up to. We also have, in the last couple of years, started teaching classes in improv comedy where people, anyone at all, of all walks of life can have a chance to dive in and be spontaneously creative. I think that's the past in general. The present is that uh, we are all in our own houses under quarantine right now. We are experimenting with ways to try to be creative um, in a collaborative way while also all being separate. We've given a couple different things a try and we're definitely going to keep experimenting. We had a performance last night on Zoom which was open to the public. Anyone who wanted to could tune in and watch uh, an improv comedy performance in their own homes from performers who were in their own homes. Yeah, that's that's one way that we're adapting uh, right now. So can you say a little bit more about how that works? You all get on a Zoom call and... What is sort of the protocol for how you negotiate? Like, I'm thinking now about kind of the rules of engagement for these Zoom performances. Did you come up with a list of this is how we're going to do this? Or did you guys just kind of do it on the fly? Your question is so specific to improv that like we get that question a lot, essentially. It's like, well, how if you're improvising, do you, do you just wing it? Uh, do you just go for it? When in reality, there's like a lot, a lot of practice and a lot of work that goes into uh, doing something like that. So one thing that's neat about this moment that we're in right now is that everyone across the world is in a very similar position. We're all experimenting and we're all trying to find ways to cope and adapt to, for the most part, being in our own homes. So for the show that we did last night, we are we're able to watch some of the best practices and learn from some other theaters that have been doing similar work around the country. The Magnet Theater is one in New York City. I studied there. A lot of a lot of my favorite teachers come out of the Magnet. And they're hitting their third or fourth weekend of performing live improv comedy shows through Zoom. So we were, I was actually able to hop on a, a workshop with one of my old teachers from back there and talk about some best practices and do some experimenting, which we are able to apply to to our work. From a logistical standpoint, you have as many people as are performing. Last night, we had six performers. They're all in their own quiet and well-miked space. And much like a normal improv comedy show, you'll have two people unmute and unblock themselves, and they'll initiate a scene. It's, it can be really tricky and challenging because so much of theater, so much of improv comedy is about connecting and, and being present with someone that it does present that very real challenge of how do we be present with each other when we are, in many cases, sitting alone on the floor in the closet? How do we be present in that moment? But we, we put in three rehearsals before last night's performance and I think the folks that were able to to perform did a wonderful job with that. I was talking with Ian Finley, who's a playwright and a theater maker and a teacher locally. And we were talking about how we sort of boil down the 
performance experience to the very like to the to their most essential ingredients so that we can still get something out of that um, even though we have to give up a lot of the things that we wish were present so what we're giving up in the, this case is that face to face physical presence and all of you know all of the things that you can sense by just being in the same physical location with other people like all those mirror neurons and sort of the chemicals that fly around when we're together and we can synchronize our breathing as a group and all of that so we're giving up that experience but what are we retaining by trying to move some of these performances online like what is still there well one of the reasons that i love improv as an art form is that it is inherently a collaborative experience. Having been in comedy for a long time, there's a lot of people in my life who have ne clearly never been to a show or don't totally understand <laughs> what it is that we do still, who will say things like, oh, how's your stand-up show? Or uh, I saw this stand-up on TV. Is that what you do? Or save this for your stand-up set, which is just... It, it's so different. That type of comedy is so different because stand-up comedy is one person working very diligently, very hard to craft something that they, as, as entirely their ideas, that they believe is funny. And one thing that makes improv stand out to me is that it is absolutely, and it could never be something that is created by a single individual. It's one person bringing half of an idea to something and then someone else, a friend, a stranger, someone they trust stepping in, jumping in with them and spontaneously collaborating. A lot of what we teach in our early level classes is just about unblocking yourself and allowing yourself to let go, speak and create without judgment so that you're able to in that moment be live and present. And even though we are in closets or bathrooms or uh, lonely apartments right now, we're still able to log into this space, see other people, and trust that they're going to have our backs and be able and willing to collaborate with us. Mm. And I think that's very real still, in spite of not being present together. Yes, it is wonderful that there are still these opportunities to create with other people. And I think there's something really special about it happening live. So the, the creation is in the moment unfolding as opposed to, you know, I write something, I send it to you, you write something. And that is that still feels really good. But that in the moment sort of spontaneity, just, I don't know, it gives me life certainly in another way. Yeah. And an interesting thing that this ties into from one of your first questions about what is the future of what Meddlesome is doing? A lot of that ties into taking what we've been doing and creating with improv and with spontaneity and moving it past just improv. The basic tenets of improv are agreeing with each other and then adding on to it. It's let's, you've made me an offer, I'm accepting it, and then we're going to collaborate to explore the consequences of this. Part of my background is that I studied improv in New York for a long time, and I was in a workshop with a older improviser for a while. And at that point in time, I'd been doing improv for probably a decade. I said, I, I asked this, this teacher, I was like, you know, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. You know, what advice do you have? And he said, if you've been doing improv 
for a couple years, for less than five years, keep doing it, keep exploring, keep practicing those skills. If you've been doing improv for more than 10 years, you need to sit down and write something. I'm not going to give you any more improv notes that you haven't already heard. You need to take these skills and go ahead and make them make them into something. Because one of the brilliant and wonderful things about improv comedy, but also one of the things that makes it so sad is that you can do the best, most amazing improv show in the world. And at most, 60 to 100 people are going to see it. And then it's gone, which makes it special. That makes it, it's ephemeral. It's there. That's why that that live energy from the audience is so important. But it's also so important as artists to, to continue to work past it. I guess so, so the, the continuation of that thought is that one of the things that I would like to see more of from the folks who are involved in Meddlesome, from myself, from anyone who's been doing improv for a while is how do we go ahead and and start honing that and perfecting it. So Meddlesome has done a couple sketch shows over the last three and a half years. We've put on three different original sketch comedy shows, but I'd love to see our incredibly talented community go ahead and start writing some stuff down. I love that idea because I think that playwrights can leverage improvisers as well to kind of seed our imagination. Sometimes I get to a place when I'm writing and I'm just stuck because I'm with myself. I've used all my ideas up and I could really use some fresh inspiration. So turning to other people to kind of jazz that a little bit, give me some ideas and inspiration is really helpful. And I also I also think that, that we don't take advantage enough of different ways to collaboratively write with groups of people. And I'm exploring that myself through the audio fiction that I'm writing with a team of writers. But what you're talking about, I think, so you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but is using improv as the foundation to then take the material that you generate in a room together and turn that into something that is written down and is more permanent. Is that right? It's sort of right. Okay. <laughs> I think fifty percent right. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fifty percent right. And see, I'm validating what you said so that we can build on it. I'm improvising with you. I love this. Yes. So I love talking shop and and getting into the nitty gritty of things. So what you're talking about is the model that the Second City uses in Chicago, which is one of, if not the best sketch comedy school and performance venue in the country, if not the world. So it sounds like a great proposal if, if that's anything to, to draw from. So they will improvise something based off a suggestion or a story or something while a director watches, takes notes, and then the director will give feedback and say, great job. Now, quote unquote, improvise it again. Here are the beats that you want to hit again. Here are some mm -hmm. spaces you can be a little more free. See if we can find some more lines in there to explore this world. And then they'll do it again. And then the director will say, great, here's some more feedback. Do it again. Uh, and they'll continue to improvise until they feel like they've got a, a great sketch. And then they'll put it on stage. And that's not universally how they, they write their sketches, but it is a, a type of improv to sketch that they teach there. In my experience with the, with the work that we've done in Meddlesome, uh, the sketch comedy shows that we've produced here, we haven't started out by improvising them. We've started out with a writer's room, much the same as you'd see on most TV shows or something like SNL or something like that, where you have 
a group of people working together, spitballing, playing ideas off each other. Even though we're not up on our feet improvising, the tenants that we teach are still present in that room. So there is like a a slight difference between a director watching improvisers versus a group of writers sitting around in a room. But you're spitballing with each other. You're proposing something and seeing who else in the room can take it a different direction. And then much like with Second City, what we've done in our writer's room is then take these this collection of ideas, assign it to different writers. They go home and write for the week and then come back and show us what they got. <laughs> so that's been the process for, for the sketch shows that we've done here. And what is then the product? Is it short scenes that are performed in front of an audience? Is it a full-length play or... What is the output of all of that? Historically, the output has been a a live hour to 90 minute long sketch comedy show. But that's not the only outcome. I am in many ways a traditionalist in that I love going and seeing live sketch comedy. I think it's just, I think much like in going to see live improv, just when you go see live theater, it feels different than watching Mm -hmm. it on your computer or on your television. But there are a lot of other very important people who work with Meddlesome and who are tied into our community who want to be doing a lot more sketch comedy, which could be filmed. And when I say sketch, I guess I mean generating web content. content. And I think that that's really important, too. I'm dragging my feet at it, but thankfully, there's a group of people that make the decisions at Meddlesome. It's not just me. So the fact that that's not my favorite thing to do doesn't mean it's not going to get done. There's a a good team of folks who are also pushing to create content that goes online. So just a point of clarification, sketch comedy means short scenes or vignettes that are not tied together as a, like as a full narrative. Is that right? You got it. It sounds like you're reading from a dictionary. You're so right. (laughs) I was just reading from the back of my eyelids as I tried to (laughs) (laughs) think of what I was saying. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sketch comedy is, for the most part, non-narrative short scenes, sometimes tied around a specific theme, but oftentimes not. And so the pros of putting that online, those kind of pre-written sketches, sketches would be access for other people would be kind of a permanent piece of art that lives out there in the world. Are there other pros or cons that you can think of? The pros to putting content online are that, like you said, you're reaching a broader audience. You're creating something that you can use as an artist to help market yourself, to show people, this is what I've done. This is what I am capable of. Another big pro of creating more digital content ties into boosting the signal of what we're doing here in Durham. I've talked about this on a number of occasions, but I think a lot of times when people think about art, they think that that has to be coming from one of the big cities like Chicago, New York, or LA. And I know, and I'm sure that you know, especially, I mean, go through your podcast feed to see that there are so many amazing artists that are living and creating work in the area that we live. I I don't know that we often get the credit for the work that we're making. I don't think that people think of us as a, a place where art is happening. So putting stuff online 
is boosting your own signal as an artist, but it's also hopefully helping increase the awareness of Durham, of North Carolina, of the South as a whole, as a place where great art is being created. Right. And what are the cons, in your opinion? The cons of creating sketch comedy, the cons of creating work and putting it online, I think are just that you're missing that live audience connection. Frankly, I think one reason that a lot of improvisers stick to just doing improv instead of trying their hand at at writing uh, is that you're putting yourself out there in a way that you don't do when you're doing improv. You know, whatever's happening in an improv show, you walk off and you say, wow, I can't believe I made that up in the moment. How wonderful, how crazy it was that that happened. With sketch comedy, much like with stand-up, you're working to say, these are ideas that I believe in, that I am committed to, that I believe are funny. I have put work and practice into this, and I am excited to present to you this thing. The emotional stakes are a lot higher with that. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone doesn't laugh at your improv show, you say, well, it's the best we could do in the moment. And when someone doesn't laugh at your sketch comedy show, you say, oh, well, I put months into that. <laughs> it was the best I could do after months of work, which right. feels a lot harder. <laughs> right. So my opinion is that some things are designed to be watched over and over again, and some things are designed to be experienced in the moment. And I have watched some improv shows that were brilliant in the moment, but probably wouldn't, they're not lasting pieces to be preserved in amber and, you know, watched over and over again. They're just, that's just not what they are. My experience is that it's just a different thing to to write a piece that is structured in a way that that is designed in a way that people can watch it over and over again and experience it in that way. Do you know what I mean? I have almost never seen a pre-recorded improv show that I thought was good. Right. <laughs> good yeah, is that's what I mean. the wrong word, but it just it yeah. never translates. It's, you know, good and bad. Who wants to put things in that sort of a binary sense? But it's it never has any of the magic that being in a live space, seeing this magic trick happen um, mm-hmm. has. And I, I do think that improv as an art form, generally speaking, is meant to be seen live. I wish I could get a roundtable of, of improv directors and, and teachers to talk about whether or not that is enough or whether or not you want to put those skills to something else. Because it's like the history of improv is so fascinating. And my own journey as an improviser has come in waves with my attachment to different points of this history. So for example, improv as we know it was in many ways created or founded by Viola Spolin back in Chicago, part of the WPA, essentially as a way to entertain children. And then many theater directors were using Spolin's improv games or other improv techniques to affect the plays that they were doing. In both cases, it was a means to an end. This was a tool that was used to help create the dramatic scripted art or or to entertain children. And then in the the 70s, we get groups like the Compass Players or eventually the madman that was Del Close saying... This middle step is actually an end step. This tool can be a thing unto itself. Folks started performing improv as its own art form, not just as a tool. 
And I think in many ways, that's where I was for a long time as an improviser saying this spontaneous creation can be enough. It's so fascinating. It's so cool. It's so in, in, engaging that that's all we need. But sort of, as I said earlier, my own journey as a, as an artist, I, after being in this field for over 15 years, if I'm only improvising at this point, if I'm only doing the same thing I've been doing for 15 years, I feel like I'm wasting those talents. I want to be able to use the skills and the tenets of improv to create something that lasts a little bit longer. I think it's important to put to put yourself out there using these skills beyond just these ephemeral shows. Uh, and when we had the last big meddlesome community meeting, that was one of the big things that we said was keep doing your improv shows. We love it. We love to see it, but go ahead and write something down too. When you are writing sketches, is there a shape to those, like a structural shape, a time limit? Like what are, what is the formula to make that? I know I realize this is probably like, you know, a whole class, but briefly, (laughs) is there a shape to writing such a thing? Yes, there is a shape. And for everything, there is there are rules to be broken. For every rule, you should be breaking that rule. I can, I'm not sure if I can give you a short answer, but I can give you a bit of a longer answer to this, which is that one thing that Maddelson teaches in our classes specifically is that we teach improv comedy. We don't just teach improv. So I, I think that that is one thing that makes our school a little bit different from any other schools or some other improv classes that exist in the the world is that we are specifically using improv as a tool to create comedic scenes. Mm -hmm. There are, there is dramatic improv and, you know, there's improv that's just like focused on connecting to your scene partner where that is tantamount. The most important thing is that you are in yourself and that you are connected with this moment where that's most important. But what we are teaching is that yes, you should be connected and yes, you, you, you know, you should be present. But we're also trying to teach folks how do we make a comedic choice in this moment? So as our curriculum builds from levels one to level three, and as our various comedy teams are directed, there is a, a basic structure. And it's, it's pretty similar to, to writing scenes and plays where you want to establish a base reality Get the audience and the performers on the same page about this is who we are, where we are, what we're doing. There will be in comedy what we call the first unusual thing or in dramatic writing and maybe the inciting incident. Something has changed. We'll react to that. And then, you know, comedically, we'll rest it. We'll step away from it so that we can return to this comedic thing that will keep happening a couple different times. In a sketch, this is probably going to happen a couple different times over the course of six to eight pages. So that's that's a formula that we do teach. But there's also the rule that you're welcome to break that rule and break that formula whenever you want to, especially if it's for something that you think will be more funny. Right. And we even, just to say as well, we one of the projects that Metalson produced uh, twice over the last two years was a project called The Setup, which was a fully improvised dramatic play where we were not using those, that same formula to create comedic scenes. We were diving a little bit deeper into character, focusing a lot more on narrative than on 
bringing the comedy forward. Jaris Donovan from uh, Moonlight Theater Company directed that, and she's she's just a fantastic director to get our actors and improvisers to dive in to tell that narrative storytelling. Yeah, thank you for trying to answer my question, which is really hard. You did it beautifully. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? So Meddlesome is about to start our fourth year of existence. We're all hoping that we don't start it still in quarantine, but nobody nobody knows where this is coming or what what's coming next. And whether we're creating a sketch or an improvised comedy show or an improvised dramatic show or a storytelling show or potentially podcasts or other unique ideas that we've got rolling down the pike, the goal is that they're all built around this idea of collaborating with each other, working together as a team, agreeing with each other and to explore and create things that we couldn't have created as a as an individual. And we're hoping that as we do that and as we do that in partnership with other folks around the community, there we're able to amplify the signal of Durham as a whole as this of the south as a whole to show people that we're doing great work here and uh, and it's work that we're proud of. Wonderful. Thank you so much Jack for the conversation and for the work that you are doing here. I I just think you all are wonderful. We're trying our hardest. We're also figuring it out as we go. (laughs) Four (laughs) years is not that long in the grand scheme of things. And we are still doing a ton of learning and a ton of adapting, but that's what improvisers do best. Thanks so much for listening. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information, see our website, artistsoapbox.org.